Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. One of the most frequent questions we hear is, how do you come up with topics every week? Now, often this question relates to the person's beliefs about their own limits. We thought it worthwhile to answer this question in the form of an episode. Creativity is useful in a lot of places. This usefulness is not limited to writing code or even creating a podcast. For many people, a more creative life is often a better one. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the steps that you can follow to increase your creativity. But before we get started, Will, how have you been creative this week? (laughs) Well, uh, I have a book publisher interested in my book. I'm going back and forth on that. That's um, pretty sweet. Yeah, there's like there's a lot of paperwork and stuff, and I'm like I don't know how all this stuff works, and I've got to figure it out very very quickly. In addition to that, I just finished the year at work, so um, I was supposed to be done at eleven o'clock today, and I was done at I think three thirty. So it was par for the course and (laughs) I've been getting all my stuff organized, like as far as all my uh, writing projects in Scrivener and trying to get those like where they're in the same place, they're uh, structured, This like the files are structured the same way with all the references and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been cleaning all that up because I've been not very disciplined with that. And it, it was getting to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to start losing stuff. Yeah. You know, because it's on like four different hard drives. Like that's not reasonable. So I'm, I'm doing that and currently building you a Linux file server. At least that's the plan currently. We'll see, you know, where that goes, if that goes, whatever. Other than that, man, I'm just living the dream, right? Hanging out. <laughs> so how about you? So uh, since we're talking about uh, creativity got to use my creativity this past week. I've been writing tech docs and tutorials for some of our enterprise applications. I was basically assigned this because, and this is a paraphrase, I'm creative enough to make it readable, pedantic enough to make it correct, and lazy enough to make it last. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's been a bit slow on the development front as the app that I've been building is in its last testing, security testing, before going to uh, production. So it's really cool. Um, I've also been helping out the DBAs with migrating data from the app that it's replacing and helping them go, all right, this is what goes here and things like that. In more pleasant news, I got a carrying case for my Nintendo Switch. And uh, took it to work. There's several other guys there that uh, have Nintendo Switches. We played Smash Brothers during lunch. Mind you, I haven't played that game since Melee came out on the GameCube. Yeah, I am terrible. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, The nice thing about the long bus ride is that I got to play on the ride home, too. What was interesting, though, was the internal Wi-Fi network for the switches to connect. So we didn't have to be on an external network. Um, and they had some really cool security uh, set up around that. Well, hmm. On that note, though, I have something about IoT and security for connected devices if you have kids. Hmm. 
So this is an article titled, Four Ways Internet of Things Toys Endanger Children. A little clickbaitish, I know, but it's really good information. This could honestly be an episode if we really wanted to, uh, to have an IoT-specific episode, which I kind of do, but that would be fun. The article discusses the dangers posed by Internet of Things toys. And these include the obvious things like unsecured wireless connections to things like tracking children's locations through the toys. It doesn't mean that you should get rid of any toys that you've gotten for your kids uh, or even the adult kids, but you should be aware of the risks and do what you can to mitigate them. Uh, do your research and learn about the risks of the toys that you buy and how to avoid those risks or cut down on them. You wouldn't buy a Lego set for a one-year-old because they might swallow the small parts. And you need to be just as cautious with your Internet of Things toys. You wouldn't download a house. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That's what I was thinking when you were saying that. And I was like, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk, Will. Just let it go. So who's talking to us this week? We got an iTunes review from Drewster1971. Great. Five stars, guys. One thing, not every point you make needs to be expressed as an analogy. Just say it. Yeah. We, <laughs> sometimes it does, I guess. Um, we do that a lot. We're, we're very Christ-like. We speak in parables. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we flip over tables and hit people with whips in the temple. I forget where we're going with this. Um, <laughs> you know, thanks, Drew. We appreciate the feedback. Um, I know Will definitely needs to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, it depends on the episode, right? Because some yeah, of the it, things, you know, that, that was the easiest way to get to an explanation. But it, it really does. Um, and you know, a lot of times, allegory and parable are the only way to explain something, um, especially difficult to understand topics or social topics where we say something and then explain it through a story. Honestly, though, you should hear all of the stories that get cut especially when something makes both of us think of multiple stories. Yeah. Um, especially when it's like the third episode we record in a given night, we've yeah, been into yeah. the scotch. Yeah, I've, I've had to cut up to five minutes of just storytelling from yep. episodes because we got on a roll and I would tell something and then Will would tell something, which would remind me of something. And we just, we went back and forth. And the tricky part guys is not cutting the stories out, but is making sure you don't reference that story that got cut any time later in the episode. So I have yeah. to listen to it two or three times when we end up doing that. We're not as bad these days, but we still have it happen every now and then. So Drew, send us a message uh, to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information, because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all of our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Google+. We're also on Path and Tumblr. And I want to take a moment to say we are on Spotify as well. I know we made a big deal about it when we first got on there, but I had someone ask us this week if we were on there. So... Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter Live each week where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. And I do want to make a shout out to our three new patrons on Patreon, Trent Norbertus, I really hope I pronounced that right, and Craig. We've not been as focused on Patreon as we should ever since um, I told you guys about the debacle 
uh, after Jason passed away where like they tried to bill him and he kept showing up and I couldn't remove him. It was just, it was, it was a pain. Um, honestly, for a while, it was difficult to even go to the site because of that. However, we're getting back into it and kind of revamping our reward system. We'll have more about that uh, in the coming weeks. Creativity is useful in a variety of situations, whether you use it in the development of software, the construction of a business, in telling stories, or in witty conversations with friends. Being able to harness the very human power of creativity is essential to living the best life that you can live. The road to success is littered with people that have failed to reach their potential. The ability to creatively overcome roadblocks and problems can often be the difference between a fulfilling life path and one that ends with regret. Now, you may be hearing this and thinking, it all sounds really bleak, uh, especially if you don't think of yourself as the creative type. We, however, disagree. Now, as a species, we have a long genetic heritage of creativity going back and through the Ice Age. This potential is in all of us, even when we don't think we have it. If you're still thinking we're full of crap on this, make a list of why you aren't creative and send it to us if you'd like. However, once you get done with the list, realize that you just engaged in an act of creation. You just didn't do it in a way that was enabling to you. Once you get done with this episode, we hope that you'll be able to have the tools to truly unlock your creativity. But while the two of us have successfully created over 175 podcast episodes at this point and have nearly five years worth of ideas in our backlog, like seriously, there's that many in there. There's nothing special to the way we do it. We're just two redneck guys that like to talk and you're more capable than you imagine. There are a few steps to uh, effectively uh, forming a creativity funnel between the ideas in which we are constantly swimming and our productive output. If you don't think you're creative, it's probably a breakdown of one of these phases. In each, we're going to discuss what you should be doing to make the most of that phase and how to widen the funnel, as it were, so that you create more stuff at the end. You don't have to be an artsy designer type to do this. In fact, nerdy tech types can punch well above their weight with this stuff, provided that they have a good process. We're going to use the example of getting ideas from interacting with crowds, but once you get the feel of it, you can use similar processes on just about anything. So the first step is noticing. Most of us have hundreds or even thousands of opportunities to collect ideas in a given day. If you're looking up from your phone and interacting with people or just observing them in their natural environment, you'll start to notice things. You know, do it with intentionality and you'll notice useful things over time. Yeah. And it, you know, this is a process that I've kind of gone through, shoot, for I guess probably since college because of, you know, creative writing. I had a contract where I was working with a company a few, I guess it's almost 10 years ago now, and we were hitting a API to get personal information back. It was a, um, it was a you know, fraud detection type scenario. And I was making the call and it was never giving me anything back. And I was like, man, this really sucks. You know, and so I'm like, you know, I did my thing of, okay, I'm going to drive down to the gas station and get a Mountain Dew and just, you know, kind of clear my head, you know, nice, healthy uh, you know, habit to form and uh, drove down to the gas station. There's a, a woman behind the counter who, you know, just kind of 
you know, bless her heart, <laughs> the best way to put it, you know, in, in Southern. And I asked her how she was doing, and she told me at length. <laughs> she gave me way too much information about what was going on, and it made me not want to give her any information. Oh, and it clicked what was going on in the project I was working on is I was actually sending too much data to the API and I was filtering out records I needed. No, I can see that. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's a weird creative process. It's the thing of, okay, you know, you got this in the back of your mind and you can take external inputs and put them someplace they don't go and get something out of it. That's creativity. That's like um, a couple of weeks ago, Dave from Junior Developer Toolbox and I were in a couple of trainings together at work and the next day, we were chatting on Slack, and I said, so how many ideas did you get from that? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I wrote down six ideas just on the bus ride home that I got from that training. Yeah. And he's like, all right, what are they? You know, trying to call my bluff. And so, I just gave him the list. And he's like, holy cow, man. I'm like, yeah, those are just the ones that I thought of on the bus ride home. I've thought of more since then. Well, and that's like at the Christmas party that we had. You know, people were asking about the, you know, how we do that. And we had that conversation. And then we go back and forth on stuff, and, and we came up with, like, what, five ideas there in a couple of minutes? Yeah, that's it, very true. Yeah, it's a very real thing. Once you get into the practice of doing this, it, you realize that there's more ideas out there than you can ever do anything with. One of the ideas I had actually came from another member of the class, being kind of like that lady, just talking too much about personal stuff and things like that. And, yeah, I got an idea out of that. So... We have this bias towards treating things that are in the background as noise, but the world really opens up when you start paying attention to it. Yeah. And, you know, and this, this is something that I was told early on, and it's, it's a really weird headspace to get into, but try to imagine that there's someone up there who wants to feed your creative ideas and they're doing it. Just like walk through your day like that mm-hmm. sometime. And see what happens. You'll get more stuff doing that than you'll get from just about anything else. And I think you probably read that same book too. I just can't remember what it what book it was. It was like bright yellow. Sounds sounds familiar, but I'm not. It was on my it was on my white bookshelf in college. Okay. I probably did read it. Yeah. So the other thing you need to do is you need to favor activities that immerse you in reality rather than activities that pull you out into digital reality. This is, you know, for creativity's purposes. So you're essentially trying to increase your surface area as your opportunities for creativity have an element of chance to them. That's that's what makes it kind of random and useful. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this too with development as well, just in understanding how things are going to be used and how people want to use your applications. You need to get out into the real world. Apps, TV programs, games, even podcasts are not built to be random. Now, you never know what I'm going to say or Will's going to say, especially because I can't yeah, have an editor. Out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and there's a reason for that, right? Like you want things to be regular and kind of normal and, and all that when you're making any kind of media. The real world's not like that. Now, this doesn't mean that you cut these things out entirely. You can still learn a lot about how to polish creativity with them. I mean, you're listening to a podcast on creativity right now. I can't tell you how many episode ideas I've gotten from listening to a podcast that gave me an idea that I went and looked deeper into and got three or four episodes out of. Yep. What this does mean, though, is that you shouldn't consider them as your default method. Yeah, like 
you know, I, I know a lot of people that like to, for instance, they wear headphones walking around in the grocery store, right? And they don't, they don't talk to anybody while they're in there. And, you know, that's fine if you're trying to disconnect. If you're trying to be creative, that's probably not your best chance. Just like randomly talking to people in the produce aisle will get you way further on being creative than, you know, being in your own cone of silence with a podcast. Very true. Or, uh, you know, going out to antique shops or um, those kind of consignment shops and talking to the people there, like other creative types. Yeah. It, it just it gets kind of the juices flowing there. So the next step is evaluating. Once you're out in reality, moving around, what do you do when you don't notice anything? Well, I think, you know, the the term don't notice is probably a little bit misleading. You're presumably not afflicted with chrome marks on your backside from getting hit by cars. So you are noticing some things. And the real problem is that you're not noticing stuff that helps you. So what you should do is take some time and try to intentionally notice things in an environment that kind of facilitates that. It can be a little more eye-opening than you'd like, but try carefully people watching at an airport or a park or even at Walmart. You know, Beach and I used to do this in college. Um, I, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that Walmart at midnight, <laughs> but that might be a little bit more creativity than you really want. Yeah, well, you know. But go out and observe. And just see what you pick up, you know, just try to try to figure out what's going on. I mean, don't stare at people like you're a weirdo, right? Like you still got to move around, but just pay attention. I'll tell you one thing that's a lot of fun if you've never done it is to uh, go sit through night court. Yeah. You will well, see some really interesting stuff. Yeah. You become aware of a world that you probably are not aware of currently. Mm -hmm. You want to ask yourself a couple of questions. First off, why is it this way. You know, kids ask this all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, again, you're, you're at Walmart and you see somebody walking around dressed in a weird way. Don't just go, Hey, look at that weirdo go, okay. I wonder what conditions led them to dress this way to go out. And you can imagine the story in your head. I mean, don't go ask them to verify it. Right. But like, you know, go, okay. How did you get out here in a, you know, purple moo moo at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, you know, like what sequence of events could make somebody do that? Like that's a reasonable brainstorming exercise. Also, what would it be like if it were different? So a corollary to why is why not? Yeah. Why isn't everybody doing it? Why isn't that normal at a societal level? Now, another thing might be, you know, how is the situation a surprise? You know, opposites attract and interact, and the world gets really weird when you start thinking about everything required to make everything the way that it is. Uh, just in terms of how did somebody who clearly can't pick out appropriate daytime clothing even get here? That's a surprise, mm -hmm. especially if you go to people at Walmart and look around, you'll get that surprise <laughs> in spades. Um, I feel like we're kind of beating Walmart. on Walmart, but I grew up in a small town. And, you know, you grew up in a suburb of a big town, so you kind of had the same experience. And, you know, you see a lot at Walmart. Like, that was kind of the meeting place where I was, where I grew up. Now, another thing you might do is you might uh, look at the situation and go, okay, how can I describe this with two unrelated things? And this kind of requires you to have a little bit more creativity, but it's a good game to play with yourself. So, for instance, instead of saying that the, you know, the, the waiter frowned when they took your order, go, you know, they took my order and their, their facial expressions changed kind of like Beetlejuice shifting you know, gears on a dump truck, right? That is very, very descriptive. Like think that in your head, go, okay, how can I fit these pieces together? Just pick two random things and go, how, so how does guys, that match? 
You guys think that he just randomly came up with this? No, it's actually in the outline. Yeah, this one was in the outline. <laughs> uh, for once, <laughs> you know, like most things I say are not written down. That's, um, true. that's probably everybody's happier that way. Pay attention to this kind of stuff. Like look and go, why did I notice this? You know, there's something that made this jump out at me. What was it? Just kind of start getting to where you can look and you can evaluate. It's not just the noticing, but it's the looking at it and seeing what you can get out of it. That is the next critical step. So you might even ask, you know, if there's two people there, how do they know each other? You know, I've played this game plenty of times in restaurants where you you look around with, you know, you're sitting across from a friend and you look around the restaurant and you go, how do those two people know each other? You think that's the first date? Oh, have you ever done the thing where you're, you're watching people and you like, you can't hear what they're saying. So you you make it up. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) That's so much fun. Unless you You can do that with TV shows too, by the way. Yes. You put it on mute and you pour yourself some vodka and you sit there and you just make it up. Yep. Used to do that in college. Yeah, it's a great way to learn to write dialogue. It's totally reasonable. Also, you can ask yourself, if this person was a programming language, what language would they be? JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> that might be that might be a reasonable answer for, uh, yeah, we won't, we won't insult any JavaScript developers. So, the next step is recording. If you don't take notes of things, you don't have them. It's easy to forget stuff, especially if it's not something you do regularly. Uh, That great idea that you had while eating lunch, it's gonna go away by the time you get up to pay because you're going to have other ideas. You're going to think about other things and... Or somebody in a you know purple moo that just walked over from Walmart is going to walk in the restaurant. You're going to go, why are they here? Are they following me? And you forget the other idea entirely. It also feels really bad to have a good idea and lose it. Um, It's even a worse feeling when somebody else comes up with the idea themselves and they run with it. I've had several, I don't know, I'd say probably 10 or 12 different software ideas that I've thought of and forgotten. And then somebody runs with it and creates that thing and they make a mint and I'm still working. Yeah. And that is a terrible feeling. And that's part of the reason I write stuff down. You know, I I have some way to record whatever I'm trying to uh, you know work on. I've got a way to record that wherever I am. Also, the act of writing down an idea forces you to expound on it a little bit, which can be helpful later. Yeah, like you have to put it in English so it can be recorded. Uh, You also have to, a lot of times when I write something down, I want to remember the full idea well enough when I read it. So, I'll put enough information to be able to get back to that state of mind. Yep. And that can be extensive sometimes. Also, why you should write down stupid ideas crappy ideas, and even ideas that make you a bit squeamish. Um, Your ability to evaluate an idea in the moment is severely compromised by your emotional state. You know, whether you're, you're upset, you're happy, you're in a crowd of people, you're in a rush, you don't have a good grasp on, you know, whether the idea is good or not at that moment. More than likely, you're also not the target consumer of your idea. Someone else is, and you need to evaluate in that headspace later, not in the one that you're in right now. Also, bad ideas have a tendency to spark better ones later on when you come across them again. I know I try to throw everything that comes to me into our ideas board. Yep. And I do the same thing. And then when we triage it, a lot of times we go, that idea sucks, but here's three things that we could do that are related to that. And we got three ideas for the price of a very, very cheap, crappy idea. 
exactly. it seconds to come up with. This is also why you shouldn't delete ideas, even if you think they're dumb. So with that, what we do is we have, um, in our triage process, we have a top, mid, and bottom columns where it's like, all right, these are the, the ideas that we want to do as soon as possible that goes in top ones that we're like, all right, we don't really want to do right now, or they need a little bit of research. They go in middle ones that we're like, we really, we're just, we don't want to do them now, or this is a bad idea. We're just going to throw it into that bottom category. The only time we delete anything is if we've got a duplicate. And it is extremely helpful because we'll hit those repeatedly and still continue to get stuff out of them. Mm -hmm. It's really neat how that works. Now, the next thing, which is, you know, we kind of touched on a minute ago, was the sorting of ideas. You know, once you've got this pile of ideas, what do you do with it? And once you've given the ideas some time to mellow, you need to evaluate them and see which ones you want to keep, which ones you want to act on, that kind of stuff. And this mellowing time is necessary both to reduce your attachments to the idea and to let them to continue to develop. This is why we just throw our ideas into that one column rather than try to sort them when we first have them. One, sometimes we just don't have time for that. Like I may be sitting in a meeting and write down a couple of ideas. And then when I get home that night, put them into the ideas column. And then they sit there until our next business meeting where we triage. Yeah. And I've had time to think about it. And sometimes I'll write down an idea thinking it's a great idea. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, this is a really dumb idea. And then I present it to Will and he's like, yeah, but we could do this with it instead. And again, we get three ideas for you know one bad one. Yeah. You also and- want to just avoid feeling too much about the ideas at this point, as this is when you decide whether they are practical or not, right? Like we've got episode ideas in the Kanban board that are kind of in the low status right now that... We both feel like there would be a good idea, you know, or we like the idea, but we don't have the ability to do it, or it's not really a good fit for the podcast or whatever. And you want to get rid of the emotion at this point, because this is a mechanical sorting process. And when you revisit some ideas after time, you'll often find that you have new insights about them. I know there's been a couple of times that we've been uh, triaging and we'll look at an idea and go, all right, whose idea was this? We have to go back and look at the log to see who put it in there. And then we sit and talk about it and go, all right, well, this is what I think I meant by it, or this is what we could do with it. Um, yeah. it it's a, it is a process. And we, a little later on, you may look at it and go, well, that was kind of a dumb idea at the time, but I could rework it to be this other thing. Well, one of our uh, more popular podcast episodes was a dumb idea when it started. We had a uh, seven de- deadly sins of programming. Oh, I remember talking about that. That was yeah. just like a random stupid idea that we threw in the board and then we did it and it got a ton of downloads, you know? So this is a thing like we're theoretically kind of pro at this and we still are not really good at evaluating the idea when we get it. I find it funny that we're pros at this. That just cracks me up. Kind of pro. Yeah. Like we get paid, but not well. Um, Semi-pro. Yeah. There you go. So this should be done based on how difficult they will be to accomplish and on how much impact they will have. And we, we've kind of discussed this as we've been going along. You could probably do it based on lots of other criteria. Uh, one thing that we use is, does this fit with our goals for the podcast? Does this fit with what we're trying to achieve here and 
what we're we're doing with it, as well as uh, we look at does this fit with our theme this year. Sometimes we'll move something from top to mid, not because we don't want to do it, but because we're like, oh, you know what? That doesn't fit with the theme this year, but what we're planning on doing next year is perfect. Yeah. When an item is both easy to do and has high impact, you should do it as soon as possible because that opens up other opportunities, either for creativity or just, you know, quick wins, Mm -hmm. right? Like when you identify a quick win, you take the quick win. That's very, very simple logic. When an item is easy and low impact, hang on to it for a time when you're tired. That's a great idea. I know we have a couple of ideas that sort of sit as, all right, these are going to be real easy to do like the seven deadly sins was just sort of this is just a a fun dumb thing to do it's a filler yeah and it was all right we're gonna throw this out there and when but we're both really busy one of us can grab it and and write it and i know you really wanted to to do that so you were the one that ended up writing that one and it turned out to be one of our more popular episodes it's funny how that that happens sometimes when an idea is difficult and low impact put it aside for now Don't throw it away, but make sure to take note of what makes it difficult. And we we do this as well in our bottom column with ideas. And we'll put notes in there when we're triaging that go, all right, this is what we need. Some of it may be we need to get someone on the show to talk about it. Some of it may be, all right, we need to learn more about this topic before we can really dive into it. Or it's changing really fast and we're waiting on it to solidify. There's that too, yeah. When an item is difficult and high impact, though, try to figure out how to break it into smaller pieces that you can evaluate and execute upon individually. But again, this goes back to uh, sometimes we'll break an episode into multiple parts that we found that when we do that, it's not the parts two and three are not as popular. Yeah, so, so we've stopped numbering them and we'll have individual, you know, three individual episodes kind of scattered. Yeah over a range and it's that's kind of how we break the problem down we get Mm -hmm. you know we get three things out of one and they're in bite-sized chunks right this by the way is kind of how you program stuff this is why us you know nerds can typically do a good job of this yeah this is an area i've noticed where people get stuck though because they don't think they can do an idea i've talked to some other podcasters about episode ideas just how we come up with them and how we've got after three years, we've got a backlog of, you know, enough to cover the next five years of ideas. And the thing I hear the most is I've got all these ideas, but I don't know enough about it or I'm not an expert in that area. And what Will and I do is we research and we put the time and effort in to learn about that area. That leads us to the next step, which is expounding. Once you have an idea, You'll need to dig deeper into it. This is where you break out a mind mapping tool and try to split the idea into smaller pieces. You know, and you exactly. break out an outline. Um, another good thing I like to do is use a, a keyword tool. So, like I use uh, keywords anywhere, and so I could do a Google search for a term, and it pops up the keywords to the right along with the search volume, mm-hmm. and it gives you other ideas that are you know attached to this thing. So it can be either things that you drill down on or ideas that are related to this thing. So you could expand it, you know, and have other episodes if you're using a podcasting example. Once you have a mind map or 
other breakdown of your ideas, convert them to an outline or series of outlines of you know the right size for a single session of work. And now this is where I feel like I shine because I know you really like the mind map. And when we were working on the recruiting book, you, you were really pushing building the mind map. Whereas my brain, like, I don't think that way. And it may just be, a, I don't, I haven't trained myself to think that way. Cause I think in outlines. Yeah. Well, I, I do the map, the uh, mind map to a certain level. And then I go, okay, now I know the areas I'm outlining. See, so, I, I build those areas as I go along and sometimes I'll, I'll move them around. So it's just a different way of thinking about it. Yeah. This is probably the most tedious step of the process, but it is important uh, to separate it from the production of content. It's much easier to organize content when there's less of it. Yeah. Like you don't want to move around. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like we're recording a podcast episode, right? I tell some story in the beginning and then you reference it later in the episode. If that wasn't done with an outline, that would be very, very tedious because you'd have to go back. If you wanted to switch places of those two things, you're going to have to go back and re-record now versus, okay, I'm just moving this point in the outline. Mm -hmm. This also forces you to come up with a deeper understanding of the thing you're trying to do before getting into the weeds of it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something you'll learn too, as you, especially as you write outlines for things that you don't know well. If, if you're just kind of rolling along, all of a sudden you'll get one point that's got like 15 items under it and everything else has three. That tells you that your outline is out of balance. And what you want to do is kind of move things around so that they are of an equivalent size and then you can deal with it. So and that makes sure that makes sure that your logic follows. So once you have expounded, now it's time to start producing. You want to structure things and then actually work on it. Notice that this doesn't conflict with things like the agile principles. The idea is to get enough structure so that creativity is focused and not so much that it is stifled by the structure. Yeah. So it's like having a story on the, the Kanban board and you break it down into tasks and then you go do those tasks. You've got creative freedom within the task, but you don't have it above that level because you're trying to make something that's coherent. This is the part of the, the process that is the real grind. A lot of the reason we suggest having your stuff together before starting is that this part is a lot of work and a lot harder when you have to go back and redesign and rework things after you've started. Yeah. Ask us how we know. <laughs> We've never done that ever, ever. <laughs> um, I didn't just like take three or four tries to say that one sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then rework it. Yeah. On the fly. Ideas are easy. But execution is going to be difficult. You'll find yourself constantly tweaking your creative process once you've done it a few times, both to try and keep things organized and in an effort to improve efficiency. So this reminds me, Will and I started a business venture about 10, 12 years ago. We, uh, we tried to, uh, to start a martial arts group. One of our friends sent me a Facebook message with a picture of my business card from that, that she was using as a bookmark. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, no, no, it really didn't. Partly because you had a kid and then I ended up moving and going off to med school and just sort of, it fell by the wayside. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it. what I'm getting at, though, is we've tried to do things like this before. And uh, we've each individually tried doing things like, not like a podcast, but like a kind of a business venture stuff before. And we've learned from that. We learned that we needed to get our stuff together, which is why we started working on this in, what, May? And started recording in July and didn't publish until September. Yeah, because we wanted to get our process down. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've done that repeatedly and we're always pruning and adjusting our process. That happens every quarterly meeting. We go, okay, what's the most painful thing we're dealing with? How do we fix this up front where mm-hmm. it doesn't come back? And, you know, we've showed other podcasters that frankly are better than us the process that we've had and they've been impressed. Yeah. Because they, they don't have that setup. Um, we're kind of a little bit, uh, maybe a little too process nerdy. Um, <laughs> we're, we're process geeks. Yeah. We're process geeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the next step is taking useful feedback and refining. You should make a first pass to look for major problems on your own. And you know, I, I'm thinking of your whiteboarding book. Right. Because I, I picked on you because you hadn't sent it to me yet. And you told me that you wanted to go through it yourself to get the big things and then have me go through it to find the weird wordings. But yeah, I mean, that that's the idea, right? Is if you put the, the content in front of someone else first, you're going to be scared. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go through it and you at least do a preliminary pass and make sure everything makes sense and all that, you know, and, you know, like, for instance, fixing grammar issues and awkward wording that you notice, you're going to feel more confident. And so you're going to be more likely to put that in front of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to waste their time with grammar Nazi stuff. They're going to come back in with, you know, hey, this is kind of weirdly structured. Or have you thought about this? They're going to come back with something that's useful that you couldn't do yourself. The thing is, don't overdo it, as it's easy to trap yourself here until the content is perfect. Uh, This is like development. You can spend all of your time perfecting an app, and then it never makes it to market because there's always more improvements that you can make. Yeah, I know of three or four different apps I've worked on that that is absolutely the case. They still aren't released mm-hmm. in many cases, you know, years and years later because they kept on adding to it and tweaking. And what if we do this? It's like, just go get money and, and then worry about it. What you want to do is find a few trusted people to whom you can show your work. If you don't have those, take some time to cultivate them. If nothing else, You can usually give a few copies of your stuff away for free to interested people to get feedback. Yeah. And you should be able to find somebody that's interested in whatever. We have a massive, massive human population on this planet. Somebody somewhere can use whatever you're making. Believe me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you got to go find those people and you may have to kind of go through a process of finding your tribe in a lot of ways. But you do that and then you have people you can put content in front of and they'll probably do the same thing to you. When you do get the feedback, determine if it's actually useful to your audience. This is separate from how you feel about it um, and adjust things accordingly. You may need to do this several times to get it right. Yeah. And you'll you'll be adjusting all the time. I mean, we've had that experience with this podcast. You yeah. know, we've gotten feedback of uh, you know various sorts, some of which has been very useful, some of which was delivered not so nicely. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we've corrected it. and. 
that's perfectly valid. If you get your emotions out of it and go, okay, what can I mine out of this that's useful? Yeah. And, you know, some of it was about how we tell too many stories. Yeah. And we use exactly. allegory too much. So we're using allegory. We're using that comment in an allegory. That's <laughs> so meta. Whoa. All right. <laughs> so the next thing you need to be doing is you need to actually release your content. Once things are edited to a reasonable level, that does not mean perfect, then you release it to the general public. Now, generally speaking, if it's something you hope to get paid for, you should have been doing some work to build hype, uh, just the way Will talked about his whiteboarding book for a while before it was published, uh, and get your marketing together far before you get to the release stage. Yeah, and the other thing is, is your marketing will also be a creative thing that you're putting out there, and mm -hmm. you'll get feedback on that that either goes to the marketing or to the product. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes when you're trying to do things just to get feedback, you know, they end up hitting. Yeah. Like uh, is, how we got on .NET Rocks. <laughs> yeah. Now, try to release stuff to the public in a way that lets you edit after the fact, if this is the first public release. So, um, let's say you're making a book. I've been through this experience recently. You create an ebook first, then you create your audiobook, then you create the printed copy. The reason is, is the easiest thing to edit is the ebook. So if you find something you screwed up, you can fix it before it's in a print format. I mean, what are you going to do? Reprint? No. So you don't want to be in that situation. That takes some of the pressure off too. Like that's the bigger thing, really worse than the cost and everything else is the pressure of going, okay, I can't screw up. That's not a good place to find yourself. Be careful how you measure feedback here. Your satisfied customers are often going to be very quiet while the unsatisfied are very loud. Sometimes they're right, but a lot of times they're not. Um, I, th I think of restaurant staff because if you're a manager at a restaurant, do you hear about the good service? You know, do you hear that the waiter or waitress always refilled the drinks and did a good job? No. What, what do you hear about? You hear about any slip-ups they make. Uh, this is why I always try to compliment exemplary service. Like personally, it's just, it's my way of feeling better about myself, but I always try to say good things about good service. Yeah. And I've done this with apps and stuff too, mm -hmm. you know, where I've sent them a message going, Hey, this is really, really well done. It's really stable. And, you know, I think I sent toggle a message, you know, probably a year or two ago. It's like, Hey, this isn't a complaint. I just wanted to let you guys know that I never think about your app. <laughs> it's in my workflow silently and yeah. I do what I have to do with it. And it never, you know, creates a problem for me. Yeah, just thought thing, you should know. A big thing too here is not to base your self-esteem on what these people say. Your self-esteem, and we, we've talked about this before in other episodes, but it needs to be decoupled from the thoughts and opinions of others. Your self-esteem is like your bathroom. It's a place for you to deal with your own crap, not everybody's. We've looked up people that have had negative things to say about the podcast. And this was mostly like they didn't like the ads that we put on Facebook, like that $5 a week that we, you know, we spent because we were, you know, flinging money around, uh, mainly because we were testing it out. And we had this guy and this joker said something pretty rude and didn't like our podcast. You know, he was insulting basically the listener base, you know, and, you know, I looked him up 
And you look at the guy and he's like, he's not happy. Like this person is this way in every interaction in his life. Because you can see it on Facebook because he also didn't hide his personal stuff. So you're like flaming people and thinking they're not going to look you up, but whatever. And, you know, you're looking and you're going, okay, this guy is hurting. You know, he's got a problem. It doesn't have anything to do with me. I just happened to show up in his feed and I got targeted. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is with that particular one, you could tell he did not actually listen to the episode. He just saw the ad and commented on the ad, which is really funny because it actually boosted the ad by his comment. Yeah. And I think the, you know, he did that on two or three in a row, you know, insulting people that clicked on the ad. And, you know, I won't say what he said, but I was like, yeah, it is kind of weird how it keeps, you know, going to you. Yeah. How, you know, how this targeted ad keeps going to you as if you're one of those. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then he stopped commenting on it. The final step is reusing waste. This is a critical thing that we want to note. When you create something, you probably aren't using all of the material that is available. And this is good because it means you did a good job editing. I mean, sometimes I have to edit a lot out of a podcast. Uh, I'll tell you guys, the podcast that came out this week, I pulled about 30 minutes of stories and rants out of. We just kind of, it was the last one that we recorded that night. And it was such a long night. That was. And we just got, when we get tired, we get talkative. Yep. And we, we were, we were very talkative in that episode, but uh, we're, yeah, it, it's the thing about it is a lot of times this waste is actually very useful itself. There've been several times where I've cut things out of podcast episodes that we've produced and then used that material as the basis for another episode. Yeah. And that's pretty common. I, um, I would say that at least half of the people I know that are producing digital content in some form, they take the stuff that they cut out and they'll do stuff like, um, they'll try to get people to sign up on their email list out of it. Right. They, you know, had a chunk of content and they said, let's repurpose this and turn it into a cheat sheet and make that available for people to sign up on the mailing list. Mm-hmm. Now this thing has value. It's not garbage. So with that in mind, I do have a slight announcement to make. I am in the process of putting together a special episode of our rants and raves that did not make it into the episodes. I have quite a few of these. Once I have enough that are clean and usable ish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Enough usable material for a full episode. We're going to get together and go through them and uh, and publish that. And it's going to be it's going to be a fun episode, guys. Being creative is seen as difficult or something innate. However, that's just not true. Once you understand the process of creating things, you can usually tweak it to your advantage. While natural skill and luck will help. You can get a long way with just sheer determination and iterating on your own process. This podcast is an excellent example of that. Especially if you go back and listen to the first few episodes, you'll see that real clear. Now, guys, that pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I want to expand on something that kind of came out of this episode. You know, a lot of people tell themselves that they're not creative because they've got some kind of process problem. That's really what's going on. And I want to tell you that it's really valuable 
to look at anything and and ask yourself why not. And I used to be super duper shy. BJ remembers this back in college. I we went in a club one night and I basically had a panic attack and I just you know did not like crowds, didn't like talking to groups of people. Clearly, I've gotten over that. And the reason I got over it is I started questioning the assumptions that I was making and trying to figure out where they came from, how to set up a process to get around them. So, you know, I can go up and I can pretty much talk to anybody now. And I did a lot of work on myself to do that because I believed it was possible. And I started kind of digging at it. And I practiced on, uh, you know, fast food staff. You know, you go to Jack in the Box and there's nobody else in the restaurant. You talk to the people behind the counter for a minute. I used to be too shy to do that. And I really think a lot of people have got a lot of suffering because they don't question assumptions that are holding them back. You know, we can do a lot more than we really let on. And I just want to leave all y'all with that in mind. Don't ever limit yourself based off of what you think you can't do. Let reality limit you, but don't do it to yourself. That's all I've got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.